Welcome to The Third One Sucks, where we rank every movie in a franchise from first to worst. I'm Dan Ellis. I'm Mark Bell. And this is podcasting. What are we going to talk about today, Mark? <laughs> it's finally time, man. We are talking about Star Wars, starting with Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. The Phantom Menace is a sci-fi space opera film written and directed by George Lucas and produced by Lucasfilm. It premiered in Los Angeles on May 16th, 1999 and stars Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Jake Lloyd, and Ian McDaniels, and a slew of others. What is our fan review this week? Well, our movie review today comes from our old pals at Common Sense Media, and this comes from user Wa, who is 18, 14 years old, who says, One star. What? Even The Wizard of Oz at 1938 is better than this. <laughs> It's just a weird movie to grab to say, like, even that garbage Wizard of Oz is better than this movie. <laughs> They're 14. I would love to go through. The, like, if we could just derail this entire show and just go through all the movie <laughs> reviews from this 14 year old and just trying to figure out what like the pulse of the youth <laughs> right is like right now. I, I would love to do that, but we have a show to get to. We do. We have a big show to get to because we are finally breaking the seal on Star Wars. A franchise, I think, like, we knew this had to happen when we started the, the podcast. For better or worse. <laughs> For better or worse. You can't do a podcast about film series in America without talking about Star Wars, the sort of granddaddy of them all, right? Yeah, we're two 30-year-old white men. We have to talk about Star Wars at yeah. some point. So this is movie one chronologically. That's the way we decided to approach these. For a couple of reasons, just because in my brain, this this like flows better for trying to fit in some of the like uh, side movies. So sure, like, yeah. I, we decided we're going to do all of the live action feature films because there's so much Star Wars out there and we so could never do much. all of it. So to frame this, as we always do in episode one of a new franchise, uh -huh. what is your sort of background and relationship to the Star Wars. We can start with me because I have less of an attachment to Star Wars than most people in my demographic and my co-host mm -hmm. here. And like, <laughs> and I say that as somebody who grew up with a dad who liked Star Wars and I watched those VHS tapes growing up uh, before they did like the, we're going to fix it digitally in the nineties to bring it up to date with the, the prequels. <laughs> uh, which uh, we're not going to we're not going to talk about that here. We'll we'll get we'll get we'll to have that time probably. For that one. Yeah. <laughs> I watched the I remember seeing episode one in theaters and it being a big cultural deal. Seeing all of those subsequent movies in in theaters, I think I've seen every Star Wars movie in theaters that has been in theaters except for the an the Clone Wars movie, mm, the yeah. like the animated one and the. Uh, side movies i didn't see rogue one or okay solo in theaters and i still have not seen solo so whenever i watch it for this podcast it will be my first exposure to that i'm um, excited for that other than that like i mean we all like it doesn't matter whether you grew up with star wars or not you kind of like it's just in the culture so you it's a thing that i like because i grew up nerdy and my other nerdier friends liked it a lot yes. <laughs> too too much one might say and so yeah i've i've seen all the things um it's i i don't I, i'm not crazy for it i think there's some cool stuff going on i like some of the politics in it i it's a thing that i appreciate and i understand the appeal of and i get on an aesthetic level especially but i'm not like my my soul is not married to it as it were <laughs> what about you mark I am, I think, a recovering Star Wars addict, maybe is a good way to put it. Okay. I am just a couple years older, and I latched on. I, I, I do not remember not watching Star Wars. Like, I can't remember a time where I didn't know all of the details of the original trilogy. <laughs> I presume my parents must have been fans because I, I don't remember a time before seeing Star Wars. I don't remember a time before having a pretty good index of all of the characters, like, names and backgrounds and histories that's just been in my brain from day one i grew up in that sort of weird window of late 80s early to mid 90s where star wars was at its at its kind of low point at its ebb 
and it's Star Wars. It was never like that far outside of the cultural zeitgeist. But there was a weird window of time where like the movies had happened and then it just sort of lived on in some books and like the weird sci-fi nerds read the books. And that was me. Like I had all the books I got. It. I mm-hmm. liked Star my Part of my identity as a young nerd was wrapped up in liking Star Wars. And I live rurally in a small town. There were not a lot of other people who liked Star Wars. <laughs> so all, like, I spent a lot of my life just wanting people to talk to Star Wars about. I have my good friend, Adam, uh, and my buddy, Kurt, who would tolerate it. A- and eventually the Internet happened. And there were people to talk to Star Wars about. And for a hot minute, that was great because it was just fun to talk about Star Wars. And then new Star Wars happened and the fandom grew very toxic very quick. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. But for me, for listeners who love Star Wars, here is the frame of reference that will help you understand my journey. I got into Star Wars, like I said, as a child. I checked out at the New Jedi Order. That is the end of my original Star Wars journey. So... Somewhere around the age of 20, I stopped paying attention to Star Wars and stopped knowing all of the things. But in that initial window, I was one of those nerds who, like, I could name every character on screen and kind of give you their deep background history. And that was me. I was one of those guys. Nice. What My favorite anecdote to use to tell people how much I liked Star Wars is within the universe of Star Wars, there is a card game called Sabic, right? That's a thing. Okay. And it was mentioned in a movie, and then because everything that was even like mentioning and passing and passing in a movie got deep, deep history in the books because they did. They're just like, all right, well, we'll pull this weird character and write an entire book about their history. Mm-hmm. So Sabbath comes up here and there in the books, not often. But my my pal Kurt and I both collected Star Wars micro machines. Do you remember that? Do you remember those? I do remember micro machines. Yes, there were a ton of Star Wars micro machines. Kurt and I both collected them. And based on the small glimpses of Sabic in the novels, I extrapolated a set of rules and we played Sabic against each other, gambling our starships. Incredible. That is, <laughs> is that the Star Wars equivalent of like learning to speak Klingon like for Trekkies? Is that because my dad was also like a big Trekkie, so sure, probably yep. more so. <laughs> than star wars just because there were like you know new star trick things happening right, in live yeah, action yeah. at the time at some uh, point there was like a video game or so like there eventually mm-hmm. was real cybic rules published but nice. by that point i was out of the fandom enough that i thought so yeah that's, gotcha. that's me. i still like star wars like i like the movies i'm happy when they come out but i have lost whatever that sort of like deep fan i Honestly, sometimes I just blame it on being old. Like, I don't have the energy and mental space to memorize character names. I can mm-hmm. barely keep track of, like, the people I have to email at work. Sure. <laughs> There's just nothing in me. And this is true of things, I properties I love, like things I deeply love. I just do not have the capacity to engage at that level anymore. But Star mm-hmm. Wars still is important to me. I still, I still look on it very fondly. I don't want to... I joke about being a recovering addict, but I, I don't want to distance myself from it like it's, uh, oh, I'm over that. I'm past. I still really like Star Wars. I just don't have that obsession with it. Sure. Now we got to talk about this movie. So I said I liked Star Wars, and now we have to talk about Phantom Menace. So this is the movie that growing up, there was like a big cultural like phenomenon about like again where like suddenly star wars was a big thing again because the lucas was coming back and making these movies again i remembered these movies when i was younger being more exciting Mm. than this movie was on this (laughs) rewatch and simultaneously i remember them being as i got older just long boring slogs for most Mm. of them and i'm thinking that that like teenage opinion versus that childhood opinion is going to come out on top here. Sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I have been more excited for a movie before or since than I was for the Phantom Menace. That's fair. All right, let's get into the actual movie. Oh yeah, I guess we could do that. (laughs) This movie opens on a trade war, that most exciting outer space theme. The Trade Federation is <laughs> blockading a planet called Naboo uh, and mm-hmm. is making plans to stage a military invasion of Naboo. We don't really know why. That's just sort of the situation we're dropped into. Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi, who mm-hmm. are 
I think very technically delegates sent to negotiate a peaceful resolution to this trade blockade (laughs) because the Jedi were in many ways the tool of the Republic at the time, right? They were sort of in addition to being advisors and fighters when necessary, they were just Jedi were often diplomats. And that's what these two were up to. They were being diplomatic. They, Yeah, that's the way they are definitely being positioned here. The moral right. ramifications of like two uh, people with magic, like mind powers <laughs> showing up and like being able to just like Jedi mind trick negotiations to their way is. Yep. Much more aware to me, like obvious <laughs> as an adult. I'm like, this seems kind of fucked up, right? Like they can maybe don't send the people who can, can like brainwash you into doing whatever they want you to do and thinking is the right decision. But they have a code that they follow, Dan. <laughs> do in the, in who follows the code in this movie, Mark? <laughs> Nobody. Jedi never no. follow the code. <laughs> We have a code and we have to do, we have to follow the code, except for that we never do. So like Qui-Gon, this whole movie is just like, fuck the rules. And like, as much as I'm here for it, Qui-Gon, in this particular instance, it's an issue. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of, we're joking about it. There's a lot of discussion to be had about sort of the institutional structure of the Jedi and the way that- the way that like complacency and arrogance led to their downfall, etc. Like that's a thing. Every everything about the Jedi sucks. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting this out now so that people who love these movies and unabashedly will not critique them on a intellectually or emotionally honest level can just can just turn the podcast off and spend <laughs> know your where time you're coming from. Yep. <laughs> can, yeah, can turn the podcast off and go listen to 500 other uh, white men who will tell you exactly what you want to hear. But not this one. Okay, so, yeah, the Jedi are, we're going to get into it as these movies go on, but, like, they are so repressed and, like, it, the Jedi feel like like so many other structures of a patriarchal government system, mm-hmm. except for this one's in space, uh, like, <laughs> so emotionally repressed and so filled with toxic masculinity. It's It's gross. It's gross. Well- And I think that's part of the argument that this trilogy is trying to make is like Mm -hmm. in attaching themselves to a governmental body as a vehicle for power and authority, they sort of ultimately brought about their own ruin. Yeah. Also, the whole following the rules thing. Also, just like also just like we have to do we have to do the thing that is the legal thing to do. It doesn't matter if they're space Nazis. We have to follow. We have to follow decorum. It's very important. The Jedi, I suspect, work very fine as a religious order. But hey, it might be really bad when you tie your deeply religious order to civic governmental institutions. Yeah, I mean, I still think they're fucked as a religious order. (laughs) But like. (laughs) But they can be. That's fine. If they're not stomping around, like making intergalactic rules, they can be as messed up as they want to be. I mean, yeah, it's it's certainly less damaging when they're not attached to the space <laughs> state. It's I do, there's so much to unpack about these movies and like is there's so much interesting actually political discourse and these prequels while trying to do that make all of it boring as fuck. Yeah, that's that's the shame of it cuz Lucas I think did want to engage with these ideas. Mm-hmm. I don't think the trilogy is trying to run from these kind of complex questions. Lucas just doesn't find a way to do it in any sort of interesting cinematic structure. And we're talking about this already about how boring it is, but like, this is one of the maybe two points of the movie. I wanted to say three going into this, but I really think it's just the two where I'm like engaged with what's happening on Mm -hmm. screen. It does a very good job of being Star Wars-y up front, Mm -hmm. which is to say the music is on point. The cinematography is on point. It's got cool Jedi and cool robes and planets and spaceships and aliens and the Mm -hmm. staging is all very good yes so for the first like 15 20 minutes of the film you're just watching a star wars and it's it's fun uh somewhat overt racism aside yeah that's gonna come up a lot i don't know if i'm gonna necessarily be able to put be the best person to like talk about all of these things but yep we will acknowledge them. I don't know how deep we'll get into it, but right. we'll at least acknowledge them. Because right up front, we have what are the Viceroy 
And I don't know that apparently they have an alien name and that like that's their position, which is a thing yeah. that I have forever been confused about my entire life watching this movie. Because <laughs> I don't think they ever explicitly name whatever the fuck they are out loud in this movie. They I just call they are Nemoidians, but I don't okay. think that ever comes up. They are just called the Trade Federation. Ooh, there are so many stereotypes in this movie, Mark. It's yeah. Sometimes hodgepodge together to make us think that we can't pick them out individually. And it, the first one we get are are these nematoid boys who uh, feel like a very thinly veiled Asian caricature to me. This is ninety nine. I forgot mm-hmm. sometimes because I am a white man who doesn't have to pay attention to these things, and I'm ashamed of it. I forget right. how recently we started paying attention to some of it. Like this was twenty years ago. <laughs> Yeah, it's, oh, I'm aging out of my skin. But yes, the, <laughs> yeah, we have, it. it's spacism. It's space racism. And it's here. <laughs> yep. It's got all the hallmarks of regular racism, but in space. So we're not going to spend all of our time ragging on those things, because like Dan said, there are better voices than ours to do that. But we want to acknowledge them. We don't yeah. want to have a whole chat about the movie without looking headlong at these very obvious problems. And I like, I, when I can, I'll stop and be like, so this thing's fucked up. But also, we have a whole movie to get through, y'all. I can't do that every single time. (laughs) (laughs) So the whole sort of entry framework is Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan showing up to negotiate peace in theory, but they are attacked by the Trade Federation uh, under Mm -hmm. the leadership of Viceroy Newt Gunray. Uh, Gunray? His last name's Gunray. His last name is definitely Gunray. How about that? (laughs) Incredible. Gunray and his men turn their battle droids on the Jedi and they have to like escape down to planet Naboo. That's sort of the Mm -hmm. deal, right? And there's also little bits here and there where we start to see that they are working with a shadowy Emperor Palpatine looking figure. Yes, definitely not Emperor Palpatine TM. Right. (laughs) Because that guy, whoever that guy is, has directly told them that they need to kill these Jedi and -hmm. said, like, do not worry that killing Jedi is illegal. I will take care of it on the back end. It's fine. I will make it legal. Just like up front is like, (laughs) that's illegal. And he's like, I will make it legal. And that's like, that's all like, that's already better political commentary than most of the rest of this movie. Yep. Yep. So the Jedi do escape, right? They get down to Naboo. Mm hmm. They have to cut their way through a blast door, which is cool. That's a fun little use of a lightsaber. I like that. I'm still engaged, still enjoying this movie. I do like that. That's one of the memorable moments from this movie is cutting through the blast door with the lightsaber. Yeah. And it's sort of introducing us to, I mean, the Nemoidians, which nobody cares about, but the, Mm -hmm. the battle droids and the destroyer droids. And like, it's setting the stage for some of that kind of cool new Star Wars-y stuff. Yeah, and I like the voice on the battle droids, and I love the yeah. destroyer droids. I love how they like the roly-poly bots. I, I still think those are cool. They are all very good. It's worth commenting, as other people have, that like because these movies were made much later, some of the technology looks sharper and cooler than stuff that exists in the relatively immediate future of this universe, but that is as it may be. Well, there's a lot of people who will look at a CG cutscene, like a... Like a a piece of CG in a modern day like superhero movie, for instance, and be like, that looks like it's out of a video game. Right. But I feel like this movie and like this movie and it's the prequel trilogy as a whole things look real video gamey. Um, yeah, we are just on the wrong side of, I think, the uncanny valley here. Like Lucas and he was doing great things with what he had. But just even five years later, CGI mm-hmm. got a lot better. <laughs> Yeah, the, especially if you look at just, like, large things. Large creatures in the distance seem to be the things that suffer the most for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. Where you just look at that and we're like, well, that's just poorly composited and the lighting's yeah. way off. And the <laughs> textures are really muted. It's you Things just weren't quite where they needed to be. So they get down to Naboo. <laughs> we're going to cut for a minute to go hang out with Amadala. Mm-hmm. who is chatting with Viceroy Gunray, just like sternly expressing her disapproval of everything that's going on here. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of like arguing about the Senate and some ambassadors and it's, it's fine. It's fine. 
what's more important is that she's also having conversations with Senator Palpatine simultaneously to her conversations with uh, the Nemoidians trying to talk about how they can approach the Galactic Senate to get this resolved. Mm-hmm. Palpatine, and this is a problem perhaps with watching this movie as we have to, having already had Star Wars live in our brain. Palpatine shows up and he's like, oh, I don't know what's going on. I can't believe those ambassadors got, but everyone knows who Palpatine is. So a lot of this stuff, like it's fun, I guess, mm-hmm. but it's also real corny. Like, yeah, okay, Palpatine, we know what's happening. Yeah, this would have been better executed if these got made in the order they were meant to be made in, uh, rather than the prequels coming out way later in uh, after the what are our original trilogy of you know four, five, and six. But there is definitely something fun about watching Ian McDermott like playing this character in his rise to power. Like he does a very good job being. Mm-hmm a sneaky, horrifying, power-hungry senator. I think, for the most part, all of the um, politicians are played well in this. All of, like, the heads of their uh, like, yeah individual government governments. Like, they, the, the everyone seems to play those. Yeah, who, who are the fuck they are over their little... The senators. Yep, and the, are they, like... Are, are these, how, I don't know how this breaks down, because it's like a, a, a big <laughs> republic of planets. So, like, I don't know. who. Are, I guess there's lots of senators, so I guess I'll say yes. senators. <laughs> there are senators, there are chancellors, and then there is the supreme chancellor. Yep. At the start of this movie is Finnis Valorum, the kind of boss of the president of the Galactic Senate. Mm-hmm. I wish that ma- this movie made these things better and more exciting, <laughs> but it's... It's the main draw of these movies. Like, it's like the main focus of these movies is the fall of the Republic. Like, that's uh, the whole prequel trilogy is about that, like, rise of fascism and the Republic's inability to combat it. It's it's the whole thing. That's the whole prequel trilogy. And yet it's so boring. Why is it so boring? (laughs) We're living it now. It's not boring. It's not boring. (laughs) (laughs) So back on the actual planet. It's time to meet Jar Jar. I hate it. This is <laughs> up to now in the movie. I was on board and people, people rag on Jar Jar a lot. And I, when you're, you distance yourself from the movie, you think maybe they're just being like uptight nerds and they're overselling it's, it's how bad a thing is. Wagoning. Yeah. We've decided right. this is a thing we're going to hate. We're all going to hate it. And then you watch it. <laughs> and then Jar Jar shows up and I'm already so done with him. Like so mad at Jar Jar. I am. I, I, I'm not even this character of all the choices that one could make about the, like you already have a kid that's going to be in these movies. Yeah. Like there was already a decision to be like, there's going to be a child to fill this cute child role. And this yep. who's going to be full of wonder and like, and we've got C-3PO clunking around as unnecessary comic relief. We sure do. I don't mind C-3PO in this movie, which may shock yeah. you, but I don't mind him. But maybe that's just because I have, Jar Jar to compare him to who is look I am pretty try hard on this podcast of just throwing out jokes as much as possible and hoping one lands so that I can get a laugh out of my (laughs) co-host and convince myself that I have value as a human being but Jar Jar will not shut the fuck up and he is relentless and on top of him never shutting the fuck up he is yet another instance of and this is one that I didn't remember going back to this of like he is uh, stereotypes piled upon stereotypes. I feel like all the Gungans are like, yeah, that's unfortunate. There's like a little bit of like a Jamaican accent in there. I think like yep. they portray him as like a, like a toddler and like his mental capacity and like they yep. have some unsettling, uh, there's definitely some ableist undertones there. Right. Absolutely. There is right. It's Yo, I, yeah. I, yikes and he's just annoying he's just bad this is this is the Chewbacca of this trilogy it wants to be at least this is what we get instead of Chewbacca for this trilogy who only made that delightful ASMR noise every now and then when talking (laughs) to Harrison Ford and in case you needed to drive home how much this is Chewbacca He's got a life debt. Hey, he's a life debt. 
Hey, Would you like a on? literal white savior? We got one, and it's Liam Neeson, baby. <laughs> it is a tall British dude with an imperial accent. I the oh my god, yeah! It all the humans are even the non-white humans are white coated in this movie. It's so weird. <laughs> it's it's it is bizarre, y'all. It, but yeah, the there. I do oh, like I do like Liam oh. Neeson, Pride of Ireland, as this character. To be clear. He's, he right. does great being in a galactic Republic Jedi. Yeah, Le- Liam Neeson, the person, has had his share of. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's fine in this movie as Space Jesus. So Jar Jar takes him down to his city. Mm-hmm. Because Naboo is a planet that is sort of two separate populations. There's the yep. land dwellers, the Queen Revine. of Adala, yep. etc. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And then there is Jar Jar and his people who are led by Boss Nass. Doesn't even get to be a king or a duke or any, just boss. It feels like he's supposed to be like a gang boss, but they're mixing. There's kind like, of an element of that, yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's weird. It's But he's also like the king and they call him boss. And yep. I think at one point, Jar Jar calls him daddy and it's real weird. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah the Gungan societal structure is oh it's a mystery to me as is their grammar <laughs> it's problematic all the way down to the bottom of the ocean where they live it's yep it's a lot so, of just woof moments there are some <laughs> on the way down to the bottom of the ocean though i really do i hate the line there's always a bigger fish it's just real cheap and bad sure yep but i do like the bigger fish the design of that oh, yeah. thing yeah all, very cool all the all the underwater creatures in this, like, look cool to me. I'm like, I'm on board, and I actually wish we somehow got more of that cool creature design. Yeah. As opposed to I the like weird shit we got lot. elsewhere. And it's a nice sort of spin on the usual Star Wars, like, giant outer space sort of weird creatures or big old land dwellers. Like, it's just nice to see mm-hmm. that shape of thing. And that's something this trilogy will do well. Like, when it explores different sort of environments it does give us cool looking creatures yeah i look as somebody who appreciates good creature design i i can at least look forward to that every great once in a while <laughs> between the spacism so boss nass and as much as i will rag on the gungans boss nass in a move that is very understandable says no i don't want to help those guys why do i want to go help them they've done nothing but make our lives terrible he says those white people are dangerous and asks yep. them to leave. <laughs> so the only thing that comes out of this trip down here is that Jar Jar gets to be their travel companion. I'm not even sure what word to use there. It's not a good thing that he's their travel companion because we have to watch him for the rest of this movie. But like you say, that there's some good stuff in the ocean. And then again, on the trip back up, we get a little bit on the way to feed. That's a little bit more ocean. That's nice. That's cool. There's a little bit here where they get to the palace at Theed, meet with Amadala, and realize that the Trade Federation is very serious about their threat to invade, and they have to get her off planet. They head out, I think, on her royal ship, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but kind of on the way out, the ship gets damaged, and they have to go to this backwater sandy nowhere planet for repairs hey it's tatooine hey we're on tatooine there's two sons here y'all also slavery but even here we're gonna give the like we're gonna frame the empathy of slavery around a cute white child that's yep like you do (laughs) all the minority coded characters are the aliens of course i do like to get back to tatooine though as much as a lot of what happens here is nonsense Mm mm-hmm Seeing Tatooine is seeing Star Wars, and that is very cool. We get here, and we we almost immediately meet Anakin and Watto, and Watto is yet another. He's yet another. Like he's Jew, he's coded as Jewish, right? Like yeah, he's a Russian Jew, hundred percent. Yep, and of course he's greedy and only cares about money because everything <laughs> sure is, is awful in the world. I hate it, Mark. <laughs> yeah, there's a. So much <laughs> happens on Tatooine, and I want to talk about almost none of it. It it's, it's uh... a stunning amount of this movie occurs on Tatooine. 
It does. I like seeing Tatooine because it's like, oh, hey, it's Tatooine. But you know what the point of Tatooine is? The entire reason that Tatooine is interesting as a planet is that you want to get away from Tatooine as quick as possible. That's the <laughs> thing that Tatooine is about. Like, that's its card. Yeah. And they were like, so, you know, what would be great is if we went to that planet and lingered there for like 50 minutes of movie. Is it only 50? I feel like it must be longer. (laughs) I feel like we spend a solid hour and a half of this movie, like a whole movie's worth of movie (laughs) in this. This movie's too long. For what happens, this movie's too long. Yeah. And we spend at least a movie's worth of this movie on Tatooine. Just like tooling around Tatooine with Qui-Gon bickering with Watto. Like, that's just what, that's just what happens for a while. Qui-Gon bickers with Watto and Anakin flirts with Padme. That that's what happens for a long time. And there's also going to be an interesting amount of Anakin's pals just reoccurring, just being like they're there. The 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 dang it. I lost the 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 former the other slave children. <laughs> yeah. What was the, the series of short films in black and white about kids? And like one of them had pointy hair and one of them had a ring around his eye. And one of them was named Darla, the only girl. I d- one, one of them was spanky. Oh, little rascals! Little rascals—they're just hanging out like the little rascals. Yeah, I thought—I—I I, I thought for sure when you said Darla, it couldn't be little rascals, and it was little <laughs> rascals. It's just—that's it, how these kids strike me. Like they do not look like slave children. They look like they're going to start filming Tatooine's little rascals. They're just like a ragtag group of scamps. I would rather watch that movie than what we got. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I would watch a whole movie's worth of them running around being scams. Sure. As opposed to that. We spent a whole movie's worth of time on Tatooine somewhere in there. We could have put that. Yeah. Just like stealing parts to secretly build their pod racers and like sneaking pies off a windowsill. That's great. I want more of that, please. I want more. I want more scams. They also hang out just like with Anakin for a while. They just go hang out at his house. Yeah. To shit on his dreams. Every now and then they stop by to shit on his dreams. Yep. And here also we meet C-3PO, who is and has been, for as long as my memory extends, my favorite character in the Star Wars universe. Nice. I don't love him in the prequel trilogy, but I think he gets his best treatment in this movie. Things going to go downhill from here. Because eventually we're going to get to jokes like I'm beside myself. Well, I'm beside myself. Yeah, that is true. Um, I do, which is which is kind of bad enough to work for me, if I'm going to be honest. But I do like C-3PO in a state of non-completion. I like that. I don't know. I don't know why, but I do like just like his wires are hanging out. I like that. Yeah, and and you know, C-3PO is always like a bit rough around the edges. That's sort of his thing. He's always got mm-hmm. like a. Uh, shiny silver part or a red leg or you know like he's always got it is a little weird that anakin named him c-3po as if he came right off of a factory line but you know whatever (laughs) that's i guess we have to get him in here because it's star wars and like you can't have the only two memorable characters you could possibly include are the droids there is no story reason and if you know young obi-wan there's no story reason to bring in the rest of them so we gotta we gotta shove them in here to tell people it's star wars yeah, and they are maybe the most consistently enjoyable characters across all these movies. They are. So that's fair. And also, 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 among the many plot threads that are overlapping here in Tatooine, Qui-Gon senses that Anakin is deeply powerful in the Force. For reasons. Apparently, yeah. he's, apparently Liam Neeson's not Space Jesus. He just looks like Space Jesus. <laughs> and yeah. Anakin is actually Space Jesus. Oh, yeah. He is the chosen one, no father, just impregnated by the force. Mm-hmm. Here to bring balance is the prophecy foretold. Yes. For like to meet my thirsty quotient for this podcast, uh, growing up all about Padme this time around, Annika's mom was doing it for me. I was like, I have, <laughs> I have trouble believing that on this sandy planet, no one else has interest in you. And this was conceived by the force. <laughs> yeah she's a very pretty lady she didn't have a lot to do in this movie unfortunately but credit to her she you know worked with what she had i thought she was an interesting character and i'm with you on this watch around you're like oh yeah she's actually doing some interesting stuff here i mean she's fun and i don't know it's it's weird to meet darth vader's mom i don't know what i don't know how you contextualize that necessarily but like she seems like a sweet lady she seems like <laughs> And given her dire straits, she's kind of got her stuff together and is is doing the best she can for her and her boy. 
Yeah, old Shimmy Skywalker's out here doing her best. So all of that is going on, just all at the same time. There are four or five like major Star Wars plot threads overlapping, and it's mostly boring. <laughs> the middle of this movie really lulls, really lulls. I thought for sure that like pod racing was going to happen and I was going to perk up for a bit because I remember pod racing being a fun thing, you know? Sure. And I'm like, yeah, that's like a big center, like set piece of this movie. Eventually we got to pod racing and uh, didn't do anything for me. It was real boring. (laughs) (laughs) I still mostly enjoyed pod racing this go round Mm -hmm. just because it was an exciting thing to break up long stretch of Tatooine. But yeah. it also, it's, again, we're just, just on the wrong side of graphical effects catching up to things because it's really showing its age. I thought I thought the pod races was another place where the visuals of this movie aged a little rough. And this pod race happens somehow because Qui-Gon needs parts to fix his ship. Mm-hmm. Watto has parts, but he doesn't want Republic credits. Mm-hmm. So they end up gambling on this pod race with Anakin as their driver who has never even completed a single pod race before and Uh if they win they get the parts and Anakin yes and And I know Qui-Gon like used the force to make that like well you can have one of the two Watto says and I'll roll up fake cubers a dice there's a word we don't need to make up a Star Wars word for this there's a good word here and I know Qui-Gon needs to train why is there a six-sided dice for a a two a decision of two things I don't what? know. I guess because it would look more obvious if he force flipped the coin after it landed. I, I guess. Like, couldn't he manipulate it in the air? It's, I... But I'm here to say with you that uh-huh. Qui-Gon made the wrong call here. Okay. And I mean, you can't, obviously, you can't abandon an eight-year-old. You, that would be ludicrous. It would be ludicrous. <laughs> I realize that that is not a thing that could happen. But Qui-Gon said, well, I'm going to take the kid who's going to bring balance to the Force and effectively lead to the downfall of the Jedi Order, which... Let's be honest, needed to happen anyway, but whatever. The other hand, you could just, like, quit the whole Jedi thing and start a life with old Shimmy Skywalker, who, as you mentioned, is a very handsome woman. Yeah, I 100%. Like, I I would be down for that. What if instead of training Jake Lloyd to be a Jedi, he's just like, ah, well, just, you know, could quit the Jedi business. Your mom and I and you can just, like, we'll catch the next plane out of here. We'll just settle down somewhere. Have a nice little quiet life together. Settle down with a couple slaves. Like, (laughs) like it's a plan of like, uh, spoilers at the end. Like they do this like moment where we're supposed to feel like, ah, there's like, there's a quality that's been struck on Naboo. Right. Right. But like, they don't do anything about the slavery that is happening on this, on Tatooine. Yeah. And I guess, I guess they can't do much with that because they wrote themselves into a corner with episode four and like, the huts are still in charge and yes. Well, the huts are a deeply powerful smuggling outfit. Like breaking the back of the hut organization would definitely be a thing. Anakin of course wins the pod race. There's like some cool dude. And I should remember his name again. A lot of the star Wars info is just falling out the back of my brain at this point, Mm -hmm. but like the cool dude racer, that's his number one, like challenger with his dude goggles. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) <laughs> the guy, guy cracks me up every time. I only know Sebulba because everybody who does not live around me will call my hometown Sebulba. I just like this dude because he's like, he's just like straight out of Greece or Happy Days. He's just like this cool dude who likes driving the fast cars and he like winks at the ladies and it's great. Yeah, Vin Diesel would play him if we cast yeah, him now. It's, it's such a weird character. Yeah, and his, like, proportions are weird. Like, he has tiny little feet and big, long arms. Yep. <laughs> he, I mean, it's, it's something. He's just, like, he's just, he's there to be, like, the shitter that you, you want to root against. He, that's why yep. he's there. <laughs> well, they do win. They get Anakin, and they tell him, like, it's fine. We'll come back for your mom later. Yeah, sure. Trust us, kid. Well, I promise. I'll be back to and free the mom makes slaves. the decision that any parent in this situation would make, which is, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. I can die. Get my kid out of here before he dies in slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Shmi is great. Of course. Yes. Now we go to Coruscant, the home world of the Republic. Mm-hmm. 
for some more hot trade talk action. God, I hate it. Why? <laughs> why do? Why? <laughs> this is the what I like to refer to as the goth peacock era of uh, Queen Amidala. <laughs> Amidala, yeah, it's ridiculous. It, <laughs> when she came on screen and out loud, I said fashion. Just uh, <laughs> <laughs> this. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's absurd. It's. She, it's it's like this bizarro big bird look. It's real weird. It's a look. It is a whole look. And so there's two conversations going on at this chunk of the movie. Uh, Queen Amidala is trying to get the Senate to intervene with the Trade Federation. <laughs> and Qui-Gon is trying to get the Council to give him permission to train Anakin because Anakin has more midichlorians than Master Yoda. Yes. This is the thing that everybody is very excited about. <laughs> He's got more than Master Yoda. Oh my God, that's more than anybody. They have so many <laughs> midichlorians. The, the, we are still, we're casually saying midichlorians, not like this hasn't been like a big... Uh, midichlorians is one of the biggest like nerd arguments mm-hmm. of the last 20, because it just sustains to this day. People are still angry about midichlorians. And I mean, granted, midichlorians real dumb. It's real dumb. But people are still real salty about the midichlorians. Yeah, they, so I, I guess kind of spoilers for season two of Mandalorian. They do reference them, but they won't say their name. Like, (laughs) they they just say M count because it feels like they're so scared to say the word midichlorians (laughs) out loud without, or like the fan base is going to come after them. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) So neither of these conversations are going well. The mm-hmm. Senate is not interested in helping. The Council is not interested in training Anakin because Anakin, while I'm very not powerful, in this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, what's all Danny doing? He's he's powerful, but he's got like a dark aura. It's scary. Everyone oh, can sense no. that. Like, there's I don't know. He's too old. Like, the he's... dark side of the Force. Also, yeah, he's too old. That's also a thing. Qui Gon, as he has done throughout this movie, is just going to say, yeah. Whatever, you're dumb. I'm doing it anyway. Go Qui-Gon. Like, I, I, yep, absolutely. Most of Qui-Gon's decisions, aside from, you know, you know, his questionable, like, dice roll chance gambling that happens sure. early <laughs> in this movie and not settling down with me, uh, like, he seems to at least be like, no, these rules are dumb. We should be doing the right thing, right? And yeah. we, like, if this is a power, if this boy has all this potential, we need to make sure he doesn't turn into a Sith Lord. Yes. Maybe we maybe we should stop that from happening. And all of the Jedi are like, nope, we should just not touch it. We should just not do anything. <laughs> it's fine. Qui-Gon is a Jedi who understands the problems of the Jedi. Now, he's still working within that system, but at least he seems aware <laughs> that the system is pretty flawed. Yeah, he... <sighs> He he's the John McCain of the Jedi party. He, <laughs> he's a maverick, Mark. <laughs> maverick he, Qui-Gon. Yeah, in that like he's only mostly shitty. He just disagrees <laughs> on the minor shittiness. <laughs> so so he says no, we're we're training this kid and mm-hmm. Queen Amidala meets up with Senator Palpatine who says Listen, the Senate's not going to help. So what we need to do is gin up support for a vote of no confidence, and then I will be the boss, and then I will get help. That's not what could go wrong. <laughs> right. So, hey, person who perceives that you were at risk, trade me all of the uh, all of the power, and if you give it to me, I will do what you want. And there's definitely no risk of all of the other things that I will do once I have the power. It's fine. Yeah, I whenever this part of the movie happened, I thought of that Eric Andre meme about Margaret Thatcher and how he's like, <laughs> do you think she like successfully utilized girl power? And I, that's exactly how right. I felt about Queen Amidala in this moment. <laughs> so I guess that's going to unfold. I don't want to dwell on it too much uh-huh. because it's boring. It's so boring. Senatorial stuff, which in it's... theory should be interesting, but it's just not. Right. <laughs> Especially given when we're watching this, Mark, and yet I'm still bored yep. to tears by it. <laughs> so they head home, Amidala with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, because Yoda has sensed the presence of some Sith activity, and Darth Maul has, like, popped up once or twice in the background of this movie. Mm-hmm. So 
The council sends Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and says, go back with her, figure out what this kind of Sith energy is. We need to get to the bottom of this. <clears throat> they all head back to the Gungans again with Amidala this time and literally beg for their help because the Senate's not intervening in time. The Naboo people don't really have enough force on their own to resist the Trade Federation. And they do come with the very salient argument that if these guys come and attack the planet, they're not going to stop with us. They'll attack you next. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, as you said, the Gungans feel very much like a crime boss family. Because what Boss Nass really needs is for someone to stroke his ego for a while. Like, yes. you need to grovel for him. You need to kiss the ring. And then he'll get involved. Yeah, it's, it's, it's... And combining this with all of the other coding, it's like a weird... I don't know how to feel about the scene at all. I can't... It's very strange. Because, like you said, <laughs> there's so all of weird. this... And I'll give credit, hopefully, mostly unintentional coding. Hopefully. But there's mm -hmm. all of these weird layers of coding that, like, by the point we get to this scene, they're just all overlapping each other in so many uncomfortable ways that I cannot figure out how to read any of it. Yeah, my brain kind of short circuits at this point where I'm just like, I don't know what's <laughs> happening, but I feel like it's bad, right? This kind <laughs> It kind of feels like a hate crime's happening here, but I can't point to exactly which kind. <laughs> they do agree to help. The Federation army invades, and now we finally, like, now we're in the, I know we fast-forwarded through that whole center, because it's all really boring. Now we're back to the good it's stuff. Bad. It's fine. You're welcome, listener. <laughs> yeah. Now we're at the, like, the last 25 to 35 minutes of this movie are a space battle and a ground battle and a Jedi battle all happening simultaneously, and that's yeah. fun. Yeah, and two of those are at least kind of fun, uh, and one of them is real good. Yes. So this is, yeah, dual fights time. Hell yeah. I'm, this is, <laughs> this is why people remember this movie. This is the good part of this movie. I think, it, this, I'm not saying anything new here, but this is still one of the best, like, lightsaber fights in the entire series. So good, yeah. It's, it's real, there's some, there's a couple weird moments that I still don't quite understand, but uh, in, in terms of what is happening with the characters and why they're acting sure. weird, but, <laughs> but for the most part, it's, it's very intense and it's very fun and there's energy and that score is fucking yeah, killer. Yeah, the score is incredible. Williams is making the choice for kind of the first time in Star Wars to introduce like vocals as part of his orchestral arrangement and it's, oh, oh, it's and so it's good. Chef's kiss. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of sad that while this is all happening, we also have the gun gun spiting on the Windows 95 desktop background. <laughs> it's so wild. It's so wild. You just see, like, they build out their honestly pretty cool looking uh, force field. I like that. I like that force field. Weird that it's on the back of, like, elephants or whatever, but sure. And then we cut to the horizon, and it just absolutely, it's the rolling green <laughs> hill and the so bright blue sky of wind. And you just see, like, a droid army so marching up over the horizon. <laughs> Like somebody has 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 to have edited that before now, right? <laughs> like there's got to be a picture of like either someone with that set as like a gift to their uh, desktop background, or them coming over the actual Windows desktop. <laughs> 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 yeah. But th that aside, it's sort of fun. Like Jar Jar is going to get his stink all over this combat soon. Right, and yet it, it's uh, he still sucks in it, but this is A, the least offensive he's been in this movie, and yep. B, the most fun we've had with Gungans in this movie. So yeah. the I'll Gungans are cool here. The combat's real fun. Meanwhile, Anakin is getting in a spaceship because the only way they're going to win this war is if they can shut down the control ship that is issuing orders to all of the battle droids. I'm a little upset at this part of the movie, Mark, because this child gets into, and I don't care how much force power this child has. I don't care. He gets into That's the spaceship. The force does. <laughs> to, he gets in the spaceship to hide, and he. I'm supposed to believe that this child is not bright enough to know how to close the top or operate the gun of the ship, but can right. then pilot it with no practice whatsoever. Yeah, and it, it's. What makes this scene very disappointing to me is one of my absolute favorite things about Star Wars is the mm -hmm. space combat. And 
I'm not breaking sure. a new ground. That's what everybody loves about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You get all of the squadrons and their call signs and these kind of big stage space battles. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, they tease us like it's going to be great. Here comes the space battle. Mm-hmm. And then all you see is Anakin doing stupid barrel rolls and cracking dumb jokes. Where's my space battle? It's, it's yeah, all an- like it's... 90% of the space battle is Anakin. That's not what I want. I want squadrons of X-Wings and Y-Wings zipping around. No, this is in here just to, I, I feel like, check off. It's a Star Wars. They blew up a, a satellite yep. around a planet. They... There's a space station that exploded, so like, we yep. did a Star Wars. See, that's we how did you it. Into, that's how you end a Star Wars. Um, <laughs> and they did do that thing, and it it was it was fine. It, yeah, it visually, happened. it's fun. the The effects on the spaceships, I think, hold up better than some of the other effects in the movie. Sure. So that well, like, they, it's all fun. They knew but... how to do that in space. Now they already knew how to yes. do that. So yeah, <laughs> they did that like 30 years prior. Of course, that's gonna look good. <laughs> But the ground battle was more interesting to me. And of course, the Duel of the Fates is the best thing going. Oh, God. Duel of Fates is so good. The, the, goodness. Like, I don't want to revisit. Because of Duel of the Fates, you get tricked into remembering this movie very fondly. Because it is right. so good and so Star Wars that you think like, oh, yeah, Phantom. That's the one with Duel of the Fates. That's great. Yeah, it's. It, yeah, I'm going to remind myself of this in the future. Every time I get the feeling that, like, I need to go back and watch episode one, I'm just going to look up Duel of Fates, all of the <laughs> scenes that are happening there, and I'm just going to watch that. I'm only going to watch that little chunk uh, sliced, to, spliced together from everything else happening during the last 20 minutes of this movie, because that's, like, <laughs> the best part of this movie, and maybe the best part of these prequels. I mean, we, we're not there yet, but... It was, at least compared to the movie around it, the high of that battle was so high. Yeah, it really was. And this is one of those, Ray Parks, right, is the mm-hmm. actor slash stuntman slash entertainment god behind Darth Maul. Yes, who is criminally underutilized. Just he, as- he is honestly one of the best things to happen to the entire franchise of Star Wars. Darth yeah. Maul is good. Yeah, he's got a real good design. He looks like he looks like if you saw him in a band when you were twelve, your parents would take the CD away from you and make you pray yes. about it. <laughs> he looks so to put it. <laughs> fucking cool. He looks like the lost two hundredth member of Slipknot, who everyone swears is not a ska band, and yet there's like twelve of them. Like <laughs> Darth Maul looks sick and it sucks that he is only in this movie as far as live action appearances go. Darth Maul is 100% the front man for Mephiscopheles. He, d- he should be. He- <laughs> Ray Park could walk in, even if he couldn't sing, in that makeup and should be able to take away <laughs> the front man's job in Mephiscopheles. But it's... it's and it, you can tell because he he dies in this movie ostensibly. And you can feel the regret of the franchise because every, like, the focus coming out of this movie is, oh, Darth Maul's the best thing in this movie. Like, oh, crap, we killed that guy. What are we going to do? The two big wounds that happen here is Qui-Gon Jinn gets impaled by Darth Maul. Yep. But as somebody who is hyper aware of what my digestive tract is doing on any given day, that looks like it's hitting right around your gallbladder, and you can live without one of those. I'm just saying. Um, yep. <laughs> so like, I feel like Qui-Gon Jinn probably could have toughed that one out and like it closed the bleeding. So it wasn't going to bleed out. Famously lightsabers cauterize wounds, except for right. the Wolfman, the Savistian Wolfman, whose arm gets cut off in Mos Eisley in the first one. Yep. It's, um, I think he could have, I think he could have lived for that. I think he would have been fine. <laughs> Liam Neeson. Then we have Darth Maul getting like, he gets halved like Dewey and Dewey Cox. He does. Like, yep. Every- <laughs> I can't I can't watch anybody get cut in half in anything without thinking of I've been halved. I've been halved. Or the doctor trying to explain like we're sorry, we just can't seem we don't have the medical technology to reattach top <laughs> to reattach the body to the bottom. That's a body. It's fine. They have all new medical equipment now, do we? We can attach tops. We can attach two halves of bodies to each other. So yeah, he he gets he gets cut in half and then I do think there are various retcons that Mm-hmm. I don't remember if any of them survived the new continuity, 
But yeah, every it, but he'd certainly like we went back and filmed pre stuff or cartooned pre stuff just so people could get more Darth Maul. Like everyone regretted getting rid of Darth Maul that quickly because he's a real cool Sith. Yeah, I hear he's good in the Clone Wars TV show, which yes. I still have not seen because I'm not a big Star Wars boy. But it's I mean, it's on the list. It's it's one day. So that's, I guess, the resolution of the Jedi, which should be the name of one of these movies, but is <laughs> Obi-Wan eventually finds his way back to to Queen Amidala, who has been along with her guards fighting a slow battle of retreat until they very briefly get captured uh, and fight their way free. And Anakin blows up the droid control thing and all the droids shut down. Yep, space station shuts down all the droids conveniently at just the right yep. time. There's a bit where Jar Jar clumsily and accidentally takes down an important ship. Yeah, it takes so out like that, a, that a tank. That yeah, yeah, and then he trips around and shoots. It's Jar Jar is an experience um, <laughs> that I would not wish upon anyone, but an experience nonetheless. <laughs> so a lot unfolded in that battle. That was a lot of fun. And I do, as much as we've clowned on this movie, and I complained about the stuff that is really slow, which is a lot of this movie, the trifold battle that wraps this up is very attention-keeping. It's cinematic. It's fun. For the most part, it is framed very well. The pacing's right on. It does a great job, I think, of cutting back and forth between the Jedi and the ground war and the space war. This part of the movie is well-structured, and feel Star Warsy, even if I have to put up with Jake Lloyd doing weird barrel rolls. Sure. <laughs> playing Star Fox over there. It's, um... Yeah. <laughs> which is weird that he's playing that and not, you know, pod racing, <laughs> the pod racing game, which came out around the same time. Episode one pod racer. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the pacing in this last 20 minutes of this movie is real good. It feels like somebody who knew what they were doing was actually in charge for the last 20 minutes of this movie. I don't know where they were for the other, I don't know, five hours prior to this. (laughs) How long was it, Mark? Who who knows? We spent days on Tatooine somehow. We we didn't do an I Can Fix This coming into this, but like you could, I feel like you could polish this turd. You'd have to rework like a bunch of like characters and placements. You'd have to get rid of the weird caricatures of uh, minorities, but... Other than all that, like, there's there's a decent story to be told here. It's just not told in a decent manner. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. Well said. And it is let down, obviously, by some of the characterizations of the aliens and by some strange casting choices. Mm-hmm. But there is some interesting stuff going on here. There were, and I do like chunks of this movie. Yeah, most of the first act and almost all of the third act. It's just that middle act is so devastatingly slow. I guess before we we get quite there, we should probably wrap up the third act. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of glossing over that. Yeah, I suppose so. But there is a string of like resolution moments here, right? Obi-Wan's <laughs> going to agree to train Anakin and the council will reluctantly sign off on it. Palpatine is the new arch chancellor or whatever. Looking very sinister, by the way. Yep, Palpatine's going to drain that swamp. <laughs> he is. Obi-Wan's a Jedi Knight? Yeah, that's right. He's promoted to a full knight now, which is a, a big deal. Uh, and we get Qui-Gon's funeral, which is perhaps a bit truncated. and Super trunk. It's blinking, you miss it. It's it happens Jake so Lloyd fast. is overacting his little heart out in his funeral. <laughs> and I've known this man for three days, but I love him so much, like my papa. It's And I want to be clear, none of this I pin on Jake Lloyd. This got dumped on him as an eight-year-old. He was following mm-hmm. the director, direction that directors were giving him. He should not have got the hate and vitriol he did from the... Like, people were mean to that kid. Oof. And then we end on the Naboo parade and celebration. Because <laughs> if you're a Star Wars movie, you gotta end on a party. Yeah, I gotta have... We gotta... Yub, nub, chub, yub, lub, drub, right. rub, it, dub, 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 dub. it up. <laughs> yub, yub it up. So that's yub the official end of the movie. Them. And it's like, it's just a string of resolutions that happen very quickly. None of them yeah. seem very important because they're just kind of like, they're all very perfunctory. Like, yep, okay, here, check this box, check this box, check this box out of the movie. Yeah, they speed through them so fast, especially the like Qui-Gon funeral. I just watched this movie and I already forgot what any of that was like. <laughs> 
It was just him laying in state for like a second, I think. Yeah, he just lays there and gets set on fire, I think. Yep. I think that's it. <laughs> so that's it. That's the first Star War. And as we were saying a minute ago, it's 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 a rough movie. I'm not going to lie. It's a tough movie to get mm-hmm. through. The older I get and the more I think the effects age and the more distance I get between me and the excitement of watching a Star War, the harder it is to watch. But I do like big chunks of Acts 1 and 3. Act 2 is just really hurting it. I like the problem is that Act 2 is like an hour long. It is. It's, yeah. It, it so much of this movie is that second act where n- nothing happens and the most exciting part of it is the pod racing scene uh where Greg Proops plays one of the announcers. I just really? I was able to pick I was able to pick his voice out cuz I was like I don't wow. know you from whose line. Um, right. <laughs> And other than like other than Greg Proops being Greg Proops as the announcer, that's all I like. I I really thought I was going to enjoy pod racing, and I was let down by the fact that I did not. <laughs> but yeah, beginning's fun with the blast doors, and then they get yep. like once they hit Naboo, with the exception of the underwater stuff. Yeah, the movie just just it sucks as far as I'm concerned. It really just drags itself to a crawl all the way up till. The Battle of Naboo. Yeah, everything, everything until everything between, uh, like landing on Naboo the first time and forest creatures trying to outrun this gunship. Everything from that <laughs> to Wisa going home, you could just yep. toss right in the trash. Yeah, I'm. I, I don't care. I, <laughs> I feel like it wastes so much of my time. You could do all of that in half the time easily. And make this movie much more sufferable, less insufferable, more sufferable, whatever the proper thing to say here is the thing that causes less suffering for me specifically. (laughs) So, yeah, that was an interesting journey. Like I said, I've seen this movie a bunch, but I have not seen Uh it in quite a while. And not only am I kind of coming to it with a different set of eyes. There's just some real sharp cultural stuff. So the like the the framing of the world of the time I'm watching this is different and it it just it made for a rough watch all around. I I like a Star Wars. I have fond memories of this movie, but I would have shut it off probably if we weren't podcasting about it or at least like fast forwarded to the bits that I wanted to see. Mhm. I had to really push myself to kind of hang in there with this one. Yeah, I was. This is why I was messaging you on Discord constantly throughout this movie. This is like, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta get through this movie, and the only way I can think to do that is to reach out to others who are also suffering. Because there's, oh god, yeah, I, I wish I could have come away with newfound appreciation for this. Yeah, yeah. But I really do feel like a lot of the fandom who just dunks on how bad Jar Jar wears this movie down and how yeah because sometimes you do sometimes you get space from a thing like you're a teenager you make fun of it you get some space you go back you're like oh there's there's a lot that's redeemable here and i was yeah. really hoping for that as well like you go back with fresh eyes and think like okay it's bad but there's a mm-hmm. lot of really fun takeaways and that just really wasn't the case i mean there is some good stuff but not nearly enough yeah i i want these things to be good not just for star wars fans but for me specifically who has to spend my limited like attention on like i'm taking time out of my day to watch a thing (laughs) and today i decided to spend all of my day's energy on the phantom menace not a great pull fam (laughs) not not the best choice i've made (laughs) yeah yeah but you know this podcast was a lot of fun so i guess it was worth it maybe yeah we had to we had to put in those two hours of work but then we got to laugh about it for 90 minutes (laughs) I mean, the good news is, according to our rankings right now, it's right up there at the top. It's <laughs> it's number one. Enjoy your time at the top, number Phantom one. Menace. Unchallenged, unquestioned leader mm-hmm. in the clubhouse right now. As of yet, unrivaled, <laughs> The Phantom Menace is my number one favorite Star Wars movie <laughs> of this podcast. All right. What is next? As if that's a mystery. <sighs> Next up, Mark and listener and everyone suffering along with us in real life and in this podcast, we're going to visit a place full of sand, which I hate because it's coarse and it gets (laughs) everywhere in Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. 
The Third One Sucks is a Retrograde Orbit Radio production. If you like the show, make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Twitter at the Third One Sucks or email us at thethirdonesucks at gmail.com, where we can chat about episodes and take your suggestions on what you would like us to cover in the future. That's the, the number three, rd1sucks at gmail.com. If you aren't already tired of our voices, you can check out our other projects, including Mindful Self-Indulgence, where Dan interviews folks about the media that has most impacted their lives, and Mount Olympus, where Mark and a panel of friends watches and reviews the Hercules and Xena television franchises, along with the rest of the Retrograde Orbit Radio family of podcasts at retrogradeorbitradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in the sequel. I wish I could have stopped knowing things about Liam Neeson somewhere around 2003. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I didn't know anything about the private lives of any of the <laughs> people I see on screen. Mark, are you kidding? Like, yeah. I would like, I want to go back to a time of blissful ignorance where I don't know that the people making the media I consume are monsters. <laughs> you keep saying her name and all I can hear is Chibi, like small Skywalker. <laughs> Shimmy. S-H-M-I. Shimmy? Yes. Shmi? Shmi? Perhaps, yeah. Shmi? <laughs> Something Shmi. along those lines. <laughs> now I'm just hearing Captain Hook shouting at Mr. Yep. Shmi. Sure am. That's that's right. <laughs> We're right I'm with you. Two hundred percent. A weird thing I wondered on this watch mm-hmm. is the Naboo blasters don't go pew 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 like the rest of the blasters in this universe do. There's this weird kind of wah wah sound to them instead. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I cared about that this time, but I wonder why the bla- why the Naboo blasters go wop wop instead of pew pew. Ah, uh, yes, as written exactly like that phonetically in our notes here. <laughs> uh, it's because these blasters are a big fan of Cardi B, and 